You're listening to the James Fry Podcast, where the streets, the sometimes taboo, and most importantly, real people with real stories meet. Join James as he explores the edge of life. Here's James. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Transgressions, the James Fry Podcast. I am your host, James Fry. If you were to watch most news programs today, you could easily find yourself thinking that the migration of Muslims around the world is something new. This is despite the fact that Muslims have been part of Western landscapes for longer than many white citizens like myself have. You might also assume, quite falsely that is, that terrorism is a uniquely Islamic problem, despite groups using ideologies ranging from anything from fundamentalist Christianity through to white nationalism, communism, and even eco-terrorism over the years as justification. Though indeed a small group of Islamic fundamentalists have been involved in a concerning number of attacks of late, the reality is that this small crazed minority make up the majority of news stories when it comes to anything Islam. The stories of peace and patriotism that dominate the everyday lives of most Muslims just don't sell advertising like terror does. So for today's show, I'm going to buck the trend and bring you just that. An average, hard-working, deeply patriotic, peace-loving Australian citizen who also just happens to be Muslim. We'll confront some of the many myths that get thrown around when it comes to being a Muslim. Oh, and just before we get to this really fascinating conversation, I wanted to remind everyone If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review on whatever podcast application you happen to be downloading us from. The more reviews we get, the more the podcast gets pushed up the ranks. And while you're there, just hit the subscribe button while you're at it. This will ensure that you get the latest episode of the James Fry podcast completely free the very moment it goes live. Jennifer. Hi. Thanks for taking time to meet with me. No problems. Bit of disclosure, I've known you a little bit longer than today, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, since what, kindy? Uh, well, you started a kindy? Year two. Year two, so from year two up until year six? Yeah. Yeah, from OLHC, Epping. Yeah, yeah, so back in the day, really fascinated to talk with you and I'm really grateful you've taken the time to meet with me mm. um, because what listeners don't know is that um, apart from being a young Australian woman, mother, also a Muslim Australian. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and that's actually something that's changed a bit since last time we met at school. That's right, a little redhead running around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to tell me a little bit about your journey to Islam? Yeah, well, I probably met... I've been married for 12 years. I met my husband. We were really... We were actually best friends. We weren't... We never went out. We nothing. We just... It was nice just being friends. And then one day up at Mitre 10 on the Hume Highway, just out of nowhere, will you marry me? I thought he was joking. And then it went from there. The next weekend we got married and that's it. 12 years later, two babies later. And that, here I am today. Wow. wow. Yeah. And had you, um, was that the point you decided you were interested in Islam? Or oh, well, I've kind of, my nan lived in Chester Hills. So I'd always been around uh, sticking my head over the fence. You know, what's that going on over there? You can smell the barbecues. You can hear the different languages and you know as a kid you're always inquisitive to see what's going on and what are they doing and why are they wearing scarves on their head because obviously Epping, North Epping, you didn't have that culture yet. It it is there now but you didn't have that back when we were younger. It was majority Australians living in our area and a few you know Asians and that that had moved a little bit that way from Eastwood but 
apart from that, we didn't really see it. So I was always interested in it. That's why I ended up going to Lebanon. So, yeah, I remember that growing up in Epping, you know, very Anglo, very middle class. There was a big increase, I guess, in um, Chinese and, and kind of Korean Yeah, that's migrants. correct. Yeah, that's right. But I still remember the one Muslim guy, uh, I would see him catching the train and he'd wear... Uh, the headwear. He was an older guy, and he yeah. was Australian too, like an oh, Anglo-Australian. Wow. And it was just so fascinating to yeah. a young guy because it just stood out. Yeah, that's this right. Landscape. You're like, wow, what are they? You know, where are they going? Who are they? You want to know? You're like, I'm very, you know, want to ask yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you'd been to Lebanon? Yeah. Before I lived there before I married my husband because I thought to myself, if I'm going to get into it, I want to know everything you know how they live because remember living here is different to living overseas obviously but where their traditions where their everything just how they live how they function how they are with each other because you hear a lot of bad stories over here but you know just wanting to see it for myself I was only going to go for three months ended up staying for a year you're saying you were interested in in seeing was it how Islam was practiced in a predominantly uh, Muslim nation? Yeah, I just wanted to see the difference between here. Here, they're a bit more. I wouldn't. They're a bit more laid back. Right. Than overseas, I think mainly because here they've kind of come over here. They've kind of had to, you know, fit in and do all that kind of stuff. Like my in-laws when they came here, they found it very hard to leave all the traditions and come over here and give those up. Not almost give them up, but you had to to fit in to make your friends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a bit standoffish kind of thing. They said they even found it really, really hard. So that's why I wanted to kind of get people's opinions out of my head and learn it for myself. How old were you then? I was 18. You were 18. So you'd kind of been curious about Islam then? Yeah. Did you have any friends at the time? There was only one girl at Benny's. I went to Mount St. Benedict's. It was Sadia. She was the only Muslim girl that was there. And I used to find it interesting for Ramadan. She wouldn't eat, you know, we'd all be at the canteen and she'd be fasting and we're all saying, you know, why not even water? Not even, you know, you can't even have, you know, like 40-hour famine. You can't even have a lolly, you know, nothing. I found, and I think from hanging out with her as well and learning the way, because I think she's Indian Muslim. So it is similar, but, you know, with their traditions thrown in as well. I don't know. It was just super interesting to me. Really, really interesting. I remember too um, hearing about Ramadan when I was younger and just the concept that someone could go all of daylight hours without eating. Yeah, that's right. It was just, it was like a a miracle (laughs) on earth to me. I was like, how could someone do that? That's right. And it is so... It is really, really, really hard. I think it would, for me, it's hard. I have a really, really difficult time fasting because I didn't really grow up with it. Do you know, I think a lot of, you know, my husband's family and that, it's easy for them because as soon as they're, you know, 12 or 13, they'll start doing a half a day or a full day. So it's there. But for me to come in and learn about it and have to do it full, full on, it is very full on. Yeah, so you chose Lebanon. Why Lebanon and, say, not Saudi Arabia or Yemen or... Oh, because a lot of... I don't know. A lot of my friends were Lebanese. Right. So I thought, you know what, out of all the cultures, and I always found Lebanese people in general just fascinating. Do you know what I mean? They're... the, The Arabic, the way they write backwards. Do you know what I mean? Just everything about it. 
So yeah. the culturally too, it really appealed to you. Yeah, yeah. And so you went over on your own? Yeah, I went by myself. I was only supposed to go, like I said, for the three months, stayed for the year just because I loved it. Just simple things like... The men, for example, will be down on the beach playing their cute little card games. And it's not just only for men, but just out of respect, you normally just hang back. And there'd be these cute little boys on their bikes and all that kind of stuff selling coffee. And if you need to relay something across to your husband or someone that's playing in there, you get the little boy, you'll pay him like 50 cents or a dollar or something and he'll go in, relay the message and come back and then the women would be normally hanging out at the beach with the kids or, you know, and this is late night. This is 11, 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning because that's their lifestyle. It's stay up late, enjoy the hours, enjoy the day, have a good sleep in, open your shops up at 12 o'clock and you start all over again. So Lebanon in the morning was dead, Abs- except for your cute little bakeries and stuff like that. It was absolutely – so that lifestyle has always not – I think it's appealed to me because they're so laid back, they're so friendly, everyone will open the doors. I had people fighting about – and I had no idea who they were – come over to my house and have dinner, come over to my house and have dinner. No, you come to my house and have dinner. So the open door policy that they've got there is absolutely amazing. They'd have a bed, they'd have food, clothes, anything you need. That's just the Islamic way to be, open-handed, even if you had nothing. You'd find half of these people didn't even have running plumbing or a toilet, but they're willing to put you someone they don't know in your house and set you up for a week, a month, however long you need to be there for. But you've gone over there as a unaccompanied uh, Anglo-Aussie girl. That's and right. And you still met with this yeah. great hospitality. Yeah, that's right. And it surprised me because I thought I'd be a lot more scared than what I would be when I got there. But when I got there, even at the airport, hi, welcome, how are you? I'm thinking, do these people know me? It was just, you don't even get that here, let alone how many years ago, 2000 I went. So that's a long time ago. That's 16 16 years. Wow. To have that at the airport, to someone to greet you like that and you've never met these people in your life, I was like, oh, wow, this is nice. This is something I want to be a part of. So, yeah, that's why. And as soon as I got back, I don't know, just sat down and really, really thought about how I could change my life. Because, you know, Australians, we're not that close as in families. Like, I've got four cousins. Don't see them. You're not invited to weddings or do you know what I mean? Like, you're not as close as what the Lebanese community and culture is. That sounded like that was a huge appeal to you because when you went over there at night time, everyone's out socialising, whereas in Australia, at least I guess in the suburbs where most of us live, after about 7pm, everyone's, everyone's in their boxes. In, that's right. And it's all the same thing. You go inside, you turn your TV on, you eat your dinner, you go to bed. But over there, it's all about the nightlife and enjoying it, hanging out, giving back, you know what I mean? It's all about just being together, which was huge. You mentioned too that the guys would often be doing their stuff separately. That's often put forward by a lot of critics of not just Islam but but certain aspects of Arabic culture as being quite a sexist, male, misogynistic-driven No, to me, I actually looked at it as in how nice is that? 
the men are doing what they'd like to do. The women are doing what they're like to do. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. Do you know what I mean? It's They know where they are. If they need them, they can go and get them. They know they're in a safe place. Even like how I was saying about weddings, for example, the ladies only weddings, that was a huge thing for me because I thought, look at all these gorgeous ladies. They're walking, you know what I mean? They're going and all getting dressed up. They walk in wearing their normal clothes and then it's, you know, all off because it's the women together, hanging out together, having fun together. And these women are wild. It's absolutely, it was just a fun time and a fun thing to be around and to enjoy. I absolutely love it. No, I wouldn't call it sexist. Like, no, not at all. Because what I'm hearing what you're saying is that rather than being something that us in the West might see as quite oppressive, just from the words using, it sounds quite empowering. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's, even for me, putting the scarf on, I only put the scarf on four years ago, but you walk around with that bounce in your step. Do you know what I mean? Like... You feel good about yourself, you know, you're, and it's not that you're doing it for your husband or anything like that. You do it for yourself. You're doing it for yourself. It's between you and, and Allah. It's between yourself. So he had no idea I'd done it either. I just put it on one day right. and he was very, he cried first because the main thing that they say in Islam is nobody can tell you to put it on. You have to do it. For yourself. So when I hear all these things that women are forced to wear the scarf, women are forced to wear the scarf, hey, sometimes it does happen because you get those arrogant people. Like in every culture, in every religion, you've always got those extremists, which I totally understand, but you can't be forced. It's not correct to be for- like it's written that it's not correct to be forced to put it on. It's got to be something that you have to do for yourself. So when we're seeing instances of I guess reports coming out that women have been forced to wear the hijab or the niqab or whatever it may be, that's probably got, from what you're saying, that's got less to do with Islam itself and more to do with particular men or particular groups that that's have correct. their own twisted interpretation. That's right. That or what they think that women should look like or what they think that women should dress like, that's their interpretation of it. What you're saying to me, it sounds like... Uh, in a lot of cases, it's the same deal that a lot of Western women have to deal with, just misogynistic, backwards men trying to impose their views on women rather than that's anything right. to do with the religious Yeah, no, because it's not, yeah. So that's the only, that always gets us. A few of my girlfriends as well, we're like, I wish people would stop saying it because it makes it bad as if, especially when my girlfriends see me and now I'm wearing it and they're like, oh, did your husband make you wear it as well? And it's like, no, it's not. I wish that people were putting out, not the right, but informing the correct way about how things are done, not, yes, you have to wear it, you can't leave the house unless you wear it or this is going to happen to you. Yeah, it's a huge thing. It's still We still talk about it quite a lot in our own community as well because it gets you fired up that you've got people thinking that we're all forced to do what we've chosen to do ourselves. Mm. And, and it seems very much that... It's seen by us in the West as a symbol of oppression when it, it's generally not at all. When it's not, it's actually something that empower, is empowering, yeah. or me anyway. So how was the reaction from your friends and family when they heard that you converted to Islam? Uh, well, because in the beginning, because I didn't really wear the scarf, it wasn't 
not a lot of people knew unless, you know, like my dad and stuff like that. My dad was fine with it. He pulled me into the kitchen because they did the, my in-laws did the traditional thing. They drove all the way from Yuguna to my house, asked my dad for my hand because they're very traditional that way. And I remember my dad pulling me into the kitchen and being like, listen, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. You know what I mean? They can just have something to eat and have their tea and go back home again. It's your decision. He goes, I'm not making any decisions for you. What you want to do is what you want to do. But just remember, you're getting married once and that's it. So, yeah, that was it. But... A lot of the girls from Benny's did, when I did put the scarf on, you see your friends drop on, on social media, drop, 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 drop a few really rude inboxes, which was not nice because, you know, I'm still the same person regardless of what I wear. Um, yeah, so it was, I'd probably say about 50-50. It was good from my family. My family was very accepting, um, but... I'd say friends, not so, not so much. Were there some specific examples you could give? When a few, I don't know how long ago it was, probably just recently, went to Dr Christy at Epping. He's been my dentist since I was five, never had any issues. Sitting there, peacefully enjoying myself, you know, you smile as you do as you walk in, you know, hi, how are you, this and that, sat down. This, this little cute old lady in the corner gave her a smile go home to your own country. What are you doing here? And I thought to myself, okay, all right, what do you even say back to that? I said, look, you know, I've been raised here my whole life. You know, to me, this is my country. I'm staying. But I was shell-shocked to find that people are still saying it now. Wherever you go, especially in Epping, North Epping, because there are Muslims, but they're not wearing the scarves. Mm. So it's a lot. Some people cross the road when they see you coming. And I do understand it's out of fear. You know, it's what the media has put into people that has absolutely scared the crap out of them. So a lot of people will walk on the other side of the road. A lot of people won't. I smile. They won't smile back. They'll give you a look like, what are you even looking at me for? It's a bit sad because it does hurt you as a person because you think I'm still the same person. I haven't changed. I'm exactly the same as what I was. The only difference, obviously, is I wear long sleeve clothing and a scarf, you know. So, yeah. I think it says a lot about that ignorance when you experience that discrimination in areas where people are far less likely to have met someone who was a Muslim. Mm. And when we see groups like One Nation and, you know, a lot of the Donald Trump supporters... And the fear of Muslims and the Islamophobia that's growing, it seems to very much be from areas where the chances that they've actually gotten to know anyone who is a Muslim are quite low. That's correct. But it's just because of what the media is putting out there. And that's what's really killing us. Because the one thing that I do remember, my dad told me, I was, I don't know, 10, 13, wherever you go, whatever you do, there's good and bad in everybody. Every religion's got something that's bad. Every person's got something that's bad. It's everybody. It's not just you. So don't believe when people try to pinpoint something on you. But you don't think about it until it actually happens. And sometimes you go home and you cry about it because it is a sad thing because they're judging you on face value, not what's on the inside, even here, when I first started here, the lady next door, the, the hairdresser next door, she was scared of me. 
the lady next door, she was scared of me. The takeaway shop was scared of me. But she said now, she goes, I don't know what I'd do without you. She mm. goes, you make me smile every time I see you. I've got a smile on my face. I've always had a good morning once I've talked to you. But because of that fear, that's what kills us the most is and why we're generally sticking together is because no one else will look at us or give us the time of day because of what is being portrayed in the media mm. and it's sad and just as we're recording this interview at the moment peter dutton the minister for immigration has come out and said that well worse to the effect that it was a mistake to allow lebanese migrants into australia during the time of the civil war now you're married to yeah that's the ancestors right. of a lebanese that's correct and the funny thing also as well if you look at a half of the major companies that's here in sydney in australia who are the owners lebanese muslims a lot of them. You've got Sam the Paving Man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, of course. He's huge. He, he pretty much had the he major contracts for the Olympics. Olympic Games. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who is he? He's Lebanese Muslim. Mm. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And the thing is that kills them the most as well. They've worked so hard mm. to get where they are now. Now they've made themselves who they are. But that work to get there, even now, my husband may not get a job because when he turns up, they're judging him on face value. But he's the best carpenter you'll ever find in your whole life. Yeah. But because they're judging him by, oh, I can't have him in my home, he might do something, which is not, which isn't fair at all. Yeah, and it's certainly, you know, I was shocked when I heard someone who is supposed to be helping Australia to, you know, be a safer place to stand up for his citizens, not directly discriminate against them, say mm. words to that effect. Yeah. I was just really shocked. Oh, yeah, I think we all are. And it does take – it takes you back a bit as well because now you're even more worried about walking outside or walking to the bank or going to my car or simply driving home. You're locking doors, you know what I mean, because you're scared for you're, – you're scared for yourself or because of – stupid little comments that people think are appropriate when they're not. And you've got young kids, don't you? Yeah, I've got an 11-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son and they, they're, oh, they see it. They, they cop it a lot. My daughter gets it funny enough because she doesn't look Lebanese. So they tease her because she hasn't got that dark skin and because she's got freckles and because she's got that, you know, medium-coloured hair. She gets it. She's getting teased for not looking like a, well, I don't know how you say, not Stereotypical like, that's correct, Muslim, yeah. yeah. And, and when you're saying being teased, who's that by? Oh, kids at school, just people in general, people that walk past you, Bankstown, when you're shopping, you know, you get judged. I'd say I get judged out of seven days a week, probably five days out of those seven days, people are judging. And is that by people within the Muslim community or externally, yeah, you talk like the non-Muslim community? Non-Muslim. But she's she's a good girl. She's a strong girl. She knows how to hold her own. So I'm not worried about her. She totally sticks up for herself. But I think it's more of the other nationalities out there that will second guess you or look at you funny or not want to buy something from you because you've got a because you're wearing the scarf that's what it's pretty upsetting right and and again solely based on a stereotype yeah. you are raising a family law-abiding but because of this really ignorant stereotype or, or the actions of a very deluded few in the scheme of yeah things, that's right you're automatically lumped into having to prove your worth to the country, yeah. a country that you're a citizen of. That's right, that I didn't have any problems with until the media started spinning stuff way out of context, which is sad. 
And obviously, the band of extremists that are around at the moment happen to be of a uh, Islamist bent, a, a very kind of deluded way of seeing things. And I think we quickly forget that terrorism is nothing new. In the 70s, it was left-wing groups. Um, you've got, you know, religious cults in Japan. Um, and now, you know, the, the, I guess the flavour of the year in terrorism is, or the flavour of the decade probably, is um, these extreme elements. Hmm. And unfortunately get lumped into... Yeah, to, that's right. But don't think we, I know myself, my husband, we don't agree with it. We got upset with it. There's nothing that we'd ever say, yes, go and do that because they deserve it. Nobody deserves that. Like what's going on at the moment in, um, is that Alipa? Yeah. I don't know how. That's terribly sad. They can't sleep. They can't do anything. They don't deserve. Nobody deserves that. Even if you're a bad person, you still do not deserve to be living in fear. Mm. And that's what all these people are doing. But we do not, I know, I can't speak for the rest of the people out there, but I know that we personally think that 9-11 was disgusting. Again, it comes back to that ignorance and, and, you know, our politicians and often media don't go to any lengths to, well, they don't go to the lengths they should to try and explain it. That's that's right. you know, the vast majority of victims of uh, Islamic extremism are Muslims themselves. And the biggest, I guess, allies we have in fighting extremism are Muslims, you know, it's a, Muslims on the front lines against these groups overseas yeah. that are putting their lives on the line every That's day. That's right, to protect people. But no, you only hear the bad about it, which is, I've always said we should open a, like a news channel that's got the truth, like no one will ever do it, but somebody needs to do it just to get on everything, not just terrorism, but everything. They need to know the truth because people are living in fear and then teaching their kids who don't talk to that, you know, ladies, if you see ladies wearing, I've heard it, oh, don't talk to her, she might do something. To teach that to your children, how are they going to grow up? Then they're going to grow up with that mentality and then teach their children. It's not going to be a nice world 50, 60 years down the track and that's what gets me scared for my children. Mm. How are they going to be able to deal with all of this when they're older? Because it is hard. Yeah. I think the biggest threat we have at the moment is that we're becoming, we're losing that unity and politicians are playing on that. Yeah, that's right. If I was a young kid and I felt unwelcome in my own country, you know, I think I'd be at much greater risk of being swept away in some kind of um, radical group. That's correct. Particularly if that group was coming to me and saying, hey, listen... Your own country doesn't want you, but we That's do. right, but we want you. Come and be with us. Yeah. We'll give you a house. We'll feed you. We'll clothe you. We'll look after you. We'll take good care of you. Of course it's something like, oh, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. why I understand the little kids that are getting, you know, whoever's um, grabbing them at the moment and trying to teach them all this stuff. Of course, because they're thinking they've either got a bad home life or something's not, or they're not getting what they want. Do you know what Mm. I mean? You know how teenagers are. If you don't get something, all right, well, I'm not talking to my dad for the next two years. Do you know? We all did it. But that's something that kills us because they're preying on the weak Mm. to benefit themselves. Yes. And not worrying about who they're hurting, their families, all these people after it, like those young ones that, you know, I think it was a few months ago, those young 15 and a 14-year-old girl that were trying to That's get right, them yeah. overseas or something. That, to me, is not right. Yeah. But there must be something there for those kids to not be feeling the love and that support that they need. So it would probably come back to something going on in their house or their family or something. 
So I don't know. I think people need more help, more support with it as well. Yeah, and I guess it doesn't help then if you have a, a government minister come out and say, actually, letting your parents into the country was, was a, a bad, mistake. bad mistake. So basically, we don't want you here. Pack your stuff and go back to where you came from. Yeah, even that's though this how, is the only country they know. And that's they're, they're, right. They're and they've, they've built their houses. They've brought their houses. They've built their cute little businesses. They've put. They've paid their taxes, but now they don't want them. It's a bit of a, I don't know. It's a bit of an ugly. Bit of an ugly... This is why I'm worried and probably you're even worried for your own kids. What is it going to be like in 20 years if this stuff doesn't, not end, but people need to come together and realise that, hey, not everybody is bad. There is those selected cute little groups that are bad, but not everybody is bad. So just say hi to someone. Do you know what I mean? Smile. You know it makes someone's day. You could not know them, but just smile at them to break the... That's why you see me smiling all the way to the bank. So we're talking about the disunity, I guess, that's being played upon by politicians and things that are really going to, I see, putting us at greater risk from terrorism and things like that. What do you think might be the solution? Would it be nice if everyone just lived in peace? I think that's everyone like Miss Universe. What do you want? World peace. That would be (laughs) fabulous. I would love if I could walk out and just smile at someone and get a smile back without a dirty look, without a question, why are you here or why do you do that or why is this happening or they think you've got something to do with it. Oh, why, you know, why do you guys bomb this and why do you guys, why do you think we have anything to do with it? We don't agree in it either. And I think that's where we're getting lost is people don't know how to separate that we aren't agreeing on what is happening. We think it's disgusting on what's happening. Why would you ever want to take somebody's life? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So that's what, I don't know, that's what gets me. So you think it's really what would be helpful would be for people actually to get to know people or behind the headlines? just ask. Just yeah. ask. Come up to me. I've told you, even yourself, mm. ask me questions. Don't be shy. Mm. I would rather you ask me a question than assume. Mm. Ask a question. It doesn't matter. I get ladies sometimes saying, why do you wear it? You give them the answer, oh, I never knew that. Ask. Mm. We're not going to knock you back. We're friendly, nice people. We're, we're generous. You know, we, we, we're helpful. We, we do as much as we possibly can. Last week, oh, it wasn't just, um, you know, the Muslim community, but at school we did the white ribbon awareness. Right. Thing. All of us got together. We were all baking, you know, baking up a storm, all for the community. So just I'd say if you've got a question, you know somebody that you can talk to or approach, ask them a question. We enjoy advising, not advising, but we would rather tell you the truth than you listen to something. Uh, their book, the Quran, says that they can't be friends with us, they must hate us. I'd say show me that part in the Qur'an where you think that's said because it's either been lost in translation or somebody has advised you the wrong thing because Islam is all about giving, helping, having an open door, you know, giving back to the community, paying your zakat, you know, doing your fast, you know, doing your pilgrimage. It's all very peaceful. There's not one thing in the Qur'an from my knowledge, that has said anything about spreading hate or hating on anybody or anything. They're all about embracing everybody just as you would yourself. 
So Jennifer, I've been seeing a lot on Facebook lately, mainly from my more bogan mates, mm-hmm. these posts coming up saying it's Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, as if somehow that Christmas is being put under threat. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I guess, these people think it, it must be the Muslims coming out and telling us we can't celebrate our traditional holidays mm-hmm. now. I personally think that's a load of bullshit. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, what's your take on that? Are you really trying to steal Christmas from us? No, I think that's hilarious because like what we were just discussing before, it's not something that – where's the tradition behind Christmas? Where Christmas is – something that we've decided to modernise, we've decided to go over the top, we've decided to get trees and decorations and all of that. Now, for me personally, I grew up with that tradition. My kids celebrate Christmas. My kids will go to my father's house. We'll go there on Christmas Day. We'll, they'll get their Christmas presents. They'll unwrap them. They'll help granddad put the tree up, decorate it, do all of it. But then dad will come for the aid for us, celebrate it with us, hang out with us, give the same presents back because everybody's got their own celebration. We think it's fabulous. Bankstown Square is decked out to the nines with trees and Santa and my kids will get their photo taken with Santa. Right, and Bankstown Square, for those people who don't know it, uh, yeah, major shopping centre, yeah. southwestern Sydney, probably. Like uh, a Westfield, yeah. but just on a little bit of a smaller scale. Yeah, and with probably the highest um, population identifying as Muslim. And we're probably, I'd say, about 90% Muslim at Bankstown Square, yeah. and yeah. we, like, we'll celebrate it like everybody else. We're not saying no because we don't believe in it. You guys shouldn't celebrate it. We're all up for it. I know some people that when their parents first came here, what did they do to fit in? They're Lebanese, they're Muslim, they brought a Christmas tree, they'd put presents, they'd decorate it, they'd buy presents for their kids, invite their family over, and they're celebrating Christmas just to help them feel like they're fitting into society a bit more. So no, I'm all all up for Christmas. And I think that's a great note to leave it on. You know, there's been evidence of Muslims being in Australia for a couple of hundred years now and peace-loving and contributing to this nation. In, out in the country, there's a um, really old Jemer that's been there for apparently 250 years yeah, out in the hill, bush. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that we're, we're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Just be peaceful, you know, like everyone else and live. I know it's in an ideal world but still or if you see someone come ask me you got a question inbox me write me I'll email me I really don't care I'll take the time out to tell you rather than you learn something from you know an un not an unknown source but you know rather than not know the truth I'm all up for that ask yeah cool well thank you so much Jennifer and Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in again. That's the end of the show. Please pop by transgression.com.au where you can find the show notes for today and also our contact details should you have a question for Jennifer or you just simply want to get in touch with us. I'm James Fry and this has been another episode of the James Fry Podcast. So we find ourselves at the end of today's episode. Before you go... I'd like to once again invite you to head on over to our website at transgression.com.au. And while you're there, click on the contact tab. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in. We can't wait to have you join us again for the next episode.